Hey, everybody, and welcome to LifePoint Church. How y'all doing today? Y'all having a good day? Come on, praise the Lord. It's Sunday. We want to say welcome to all of you. My name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at LifePoint Church. And I want to say, first of all, a big welcome to everyone who is here for the very first time. We love being one church in many places, as well as everyone who is joining us digitally, whether through our online campus, our on-demand stream throughout the week, as well as any of our video campuses and video venues today, which we have one of our Rossview services is on video every week now, and also our Phoenix location. Come on, aren't we excited about our Phoenix location? And today we are running a a pre-launch service of our Austin P State University site. Come on, our campus is opening back up very soon. So big shout out to all of the Dream Team that is going to Austin P to help us relaunch our campus. What an honor to be together today. And our church continues to grow even in the, in the pressure of the season that we're living in. How many of you know the kingdom of God continues to advance? Amen, everybody. Hey, I want to take a moment again and say welcome to everybody who's joining us um, for this weekend service. And I want to encourage everybody to make sure that this parable series that we're doing takes you into a small group conversation. In fact, we're asking everybody to join or host or be a part of small group discussions this week and over the next five more weeks as we do this parable series together. And uh, it's a simple next step for you. We want to take the sermon from the pulpit and the platform and the auditorium uh, into the week. And so it's really the, the basic version of a small group is you and one other person. We say you and a who is what Pastor Willie always says. And uh, if you'd like to host a group, a conversation around your dinner table or with your neighborhood or with friends at work, just get on our website, lifepointchurch.tv, and uh, right on the homepage is a button where you can click to host a group, and everything you need is there, the video for the discussion on this week's message, as well as some discussion questions for you to have. You don't have to be a theologian to have a conversation about Jesus. Can I hear an amen, everybody? None of his disciples went to Bible college. Most of them acted it out, too. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, okay, thank you. I got one joke. We'll laugh over here in the corner. Hey, I want to thank you for being an amazingly generous church, not only with your finances, but this week you showed up with your skills and your hands and your stuff and your time. First of all, just so far as we have, we we spent the first 21 days in August in 21 days of prayer, and we talked about giving to our partner with Convoy of Hope with uh, one day to feed the world. And let me just tell you, so far your generosity, you've given right at $120,000 in that one day to feed the world offering. Come on, let's celebrate that together. Praise God. Praise God. And uh, we're going to leave that giving portal open for you on our website, and we would love for any of you, if you've not had a chance to give to that offering, this is above and beyond our regular tithing, you can go to our website, lifepointchurch.tv, and select the giving tab and select the Convoys One Day to Feed the World. I, I know the giving potential of our church, and 120 is just a fraction of what we can do if we would all give one day's wages, but I ask you to pray about it and obey the Lord. How many days would he have you give? So you can give online through our app, through the mail, however you want to do that. The other thing I want to just tell you thank you for and let you know what we're doing is thank you for your response to our neighbor city in Waverly, Tennessee. Waverly and Dixon were hard hit by this flood last week, and it has been absolute tragic devastation. Uh, It's a town of 4,000 people, and about, so just imagine if the average home is three to four people, that means 4,000 people is about uh, 1,200 to 1,400 houses, homes. And about 250 of those homes are devastated, catastrophically, really beyond repair. It's a high percentage of people who have lost everything. And this water came into Waverly with such force and such speed. Um, I I heard the story of one man who went in to rescue his daughter who was uh, paralyzed in a wheelchair. And he walked into the house and the water was at his ankles. And he said by the time he walked out of the house rescuing his own daughter, the water was at his chest. 
I mean, this water came in so fast, picked up houses off of their foundations. And it's easy to go, well, that's another town. Somebody else will take care of them. But everyone who would take care of them is devastated themselves. And I'm just telling you, it's been so fun to watch how churches have really led the way in the cleanup and the, the care. Uh, we have served alongside with YAPAC Outreach. Come on, how many of us love YAPAC and thank God for YAPAC? They're local to Clarksville, but they are making a huge impact. And we thank God for YAPAC and the team. Compassion Church in Waverly and in Dixon. We are forever partnered, of course, with Convoy of Hope. And they have sent uh, already, Compassion Church has become a landing site for resources. They've had 15 full trucks full of stuff brought to their location. And Convoy of Hope not only came multiple times, they've come three or four times, but they also bring training teams to help volunteers on the ground know how to handle disaster. How many of you know no, none of us got degrees in disaster relief, right? So Convoy comes in and they do the training. Samaritan's Purse, Tyson's Food, we've distributed supplies and meals. We've cleaned LifePoint teams. in the We call it the Red Shirt Army when we show up in the Serve Day shirts, you know. We, uh, this weekend, have cleaned out and gutted seven homes. Many of them, you got to take all the drywall, the flooring out, and everything else to let it dry out in hopes to rebuild. Uh, they're talking about condemning the land where those homes are, which means they're never going to be allowed to build it there again. Uh, but we were able to help these families see hope and see help. Uh, we came from, you know, an hour away. 142 people uh, from LifePoint have served. Five of them are friends of LifePoint, and we found that even 22% of the folks who served this weekend in Waverly have never done anything else with LifePoint before. Serving in Waverly was their first step. I just want to thank you, church, for being a generous church, for getting your hands dirty, giving your time this weekend. And I'm just going to tell you right now, and I'm asking everybody to listen in, there is still a great need there. And that need's not going away for a few weeks. By the way, a massive hurricane is about to hit my hometown of New Orleans. It just seems like we go from one thing to the next. Can I hear, is anybody else feeling the stress about that? But let me just tell you something. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome this world. And part of being the church, the body of Christ, is we lead the way in bringing hope when it seems hopeless. We lead the way in bringing help when it seems like your help, people are helpless. And we lead the way in generosity and serving. So I want to encourage everybody, keep giving, keep serving, keep showing up. We have a disaster relief fund now that we've established on our website. And uh, it's been there. And LifePoint, you guys, through your generosity, we were able to seed that fund with $50,000 without even question. Our board was like, absolutely, give the money there to help those folks in Waverly. And now we're partnering with churches and other organizations around town and around the community and across the state. We're trying to raise quite a bit of money to help these families put their lives together again. So thank you for your generosity. Please lean in. Get your hands dirty. Come on, give up a Saturday. Call in a day from work. Tell them, say, I'm not sick, I'm serving. And I ain't coming in today, bless God. And then if they fire you, we'll give you benevolence, okay? Come on now. <laughs> Let's pray over everything that's happening right now. Come on, bow your heads with me. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're not surprised by anything happening in Afghanistan. God, we may seem shocked and appalled and angry and frustrated, but God, you see all things. And I pray that the Spirit of God would hover over the nation of Afghanistan, protect people. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would wipe out those and take out those who are causing tragic devastation, Lord. Bring people to justice and then bring them to Jesus. God, we pray for safety for our men and women who are there we pray, God, for safety for those who are trying to get out, for children and women who are being oppressed. We, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray for the peace of God in that land and the peace of Jesus through revival, through transformation. 
God, we pray over the city of Waverly and Dixon. God, we pray that, God, you would bring hope to that city. And we thank you that the church gets to be a part of the tip of the spear for hope and resource and help and provision. Bless Compassion Church and all these organizations. Lord, we pray over Louisiana. We pray over New Orleans. We pray over, God, this hurricane that's coming through with such fierce wind. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would lessen the impact of this hurricane, that, God, you would provide relief and hope and comfort to families. And, God, we thank you that the church will be there and the church isn't going away and that, God, you would use the body of Christ to bring relief and hope and help in times of stress. And God, I'm just praying right now that that storm would weaken in Jesus' name. Lord, you stood in a boat and commanded a storm to be still. And Lord, you said greater things than you have done, we would do. You talked to a small storm in the Sea of Galilee. We're talking to a massive storm in the Gulf of Mexico. And we ask in Jesus' name that that storm be weakened to the glory of Jesus. We love you, God, and we thank you. Amen. Hey, we're in week two of our parables series in the uh, looking in the teachings of Jesus, and I wrote a book called The Parable Church, which we've given away to a lot of folks in our church, and, uh, but we're, we're not, now we're leaving the book completely. We're, we're looking at five new parables that are not mentioned in that book for the rest of this series, and we want to encourage all of you to follow the teachings of Jesus. I mean, it seems like a novel idea, but these were stories and, and illustrations that he gave us to teach us how to live as part of his kingdom as part of his family. And I think the parables of Jesus should absolutely shape our lives as Christians. And today is one of the most well-known parables, especially the language. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the title Good Samaritan, it's part of our cultural language. In fact, to be called a Good Samaritan is a compliment in our culture. Uh, There's a law written, named after the teaching of Jesus about the Good Samaritan, and the law is called the Good Samaritan Law. The idea is that if you're ever in a position to help someone that would actually put you or that person at risk, but you were doing so motivated in a way to help them, um, and something were to happen, you're free from liability because you were just trying to be a Good Samaritan. And so the Good Samaritan story is one that many of us are familiar with, the language, but I want to unpack the DNA of this teaching together. If you would go with me to Luke chapter 10, and uh, it's, it's one of the... Um, most famous parables, but it only shows up in Luke's gospel, and it's, it's, to me, one of my favorite. I mean, Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So as you're turning there, I want to tell you the story about something that happened in Waverly, Tennessee, this last week. I was down on Wednesday, and uh, we were trying to make some connection points of where we can serve, and at the time, the city officials were saying, please don't do serve projects yet. We're still looking for bodies. And so I had gone down, not with a serve team or anything like that, but just to drive around and ask people, where can we help, where can we serve? And I, I walked up to this house, and, and there were um, a few people, like family members, helping gut out a house, and this lady was sitting on the front uh, of, her, of the home, and I, I asked, I said, is this your home? She said, this is my parents' house, and uh, we're just getting it all gutted out. It was six feet of water. Their house is right on the creek that flooded, and I said, um, how are your parents? Are they okay? Because they're not around. I'm assuming maybe something tragic happened. She just started getting emotional, and she said, my parents are actually okay, praise God. And she had on a church, a Compassion Church shirt, which is a great church that we partner with there in Waverly. In fact, we're great friends with their pastoral team, and and our team has done a lot with them, and they've done a lot with us over the years. So I said, you're at Compassion Church. I said, I I love your church. I love Pastor Jamie and Cody. And and she said, well, we know you, Pastor Mike and LifePoint. You guys have been amazing. And I said, well, how are your parents? And she said, she starts getting emotional. She said, my parents were actually caught in the floodwaters out a little further out from the house. They weren't here, but they were actually still in the floodwater. And she said, my mom called us 
because their truck had gotten stuck in the floodwaters to tell us the, the waters are rising, but we should be okay. Within a minute or two later, she calls back and says, honey, the water is coming over the top of the truck. We are not going to get out of here. And she said, I, she was calling to tell her, mom, to her daughter, I'm not going to make it. We'll see you again one day in heaven, but I'm not going to make it. And even as she's telling me the story, she's like getting very emotional and she's weeping. And she said, my mom's calling to tell me we're not going to make it. And I'm so devastated, she said. So I just started praying and asking God. She said, Lord, please rescue my parents. Do something, God. And here she was, like totally helpless to help her parents. Her mom and dad are in their 70s, and they're stuck in this truck with water coming over. And, and if you don't realize this, the flood that happened in Waverly was like a flash flood. It happened so quickly. It was like a wall of water because of a broke dam up the, up the stream there. Anyway, she starts praying and begging God, help my parents, help my parents, help my parents. And she said, as she was praying, some man walked out of the woods with a rope on his shoulder. And he walks out of the woods over to their truck and throws the rope into the window and pulls her mother and father out to safety. Total miracle, right? And she's telling the story and she's like, and praise God, my mom and dad are fine. The truck's destroyed, but my parents are fine. And I said, who was this guy? And she said, we have no idea who he is. We've never seen him before, and then he disappeared. We have no idea where he went. We haven't seen him since. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I still believe God is a good God and a miracle-working God, and that creates some very big excitement in my life. You know what I'm saying? I hear a story like that, and I just remember sitting there with her, and I go, can I film that story? And she's like, what? I go, I gotta tell my church this story. That's amazing. And so there, you know, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians-ish 50. Paul said, he said, uh, Always be mindful of who you interact with because you never know if you're entertaining angels even without being aware of it. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know who that man was either, but I know the God of that, of that family, and I know that he can send an angel from the woods with a rope to rescue that lady's mom and dad out of a truck. But you know what was interesting to me about that story? Is she didn't tell me that before the man rescued her parents, he started asking qualifying questions about her. He didn't get to the window and say, hey, uh, before I throw you this rope, I need to know who you voted for in the election last year. He didn't come to them with questions about, have you been vaccinated or not? Are you wearing a mask in that truck or not? He didn't come to them with questions about their vaccine options or their treatment of the Black Lives Matter movement. He didn't show any, he didn't ask any religious affiliation. Are you Southern Baptist, Pentecostal? Are you Word of Faith? What, what's your tribe? Are you pre-trib, rapture, post-trib, rapture? Like, how do you believe about women in ministry? He didn't ask any of those questions. He just, without thought, threw a rope to some people and offered help. In a moment of urgency, most of us would hopefully say that we'd be glad to help somebody drowning in a truck. Can I hear an amen, right? All of us would say that. But let's use that situation as, as an analogy. How many of us struggle to throw a lifeline to people because they're different than us? How many of us struggle to give care and to give blessing and to give help to those who don't look like us or, or live like us or believe like us or behave like us or do whatever like us? It's actually part of the human condition that, that stresses the Lord out the most. It's part of why Jesus came to be someone other than us to rescue us. And it's something that he really, really, really tries to transform in us. Now, the truth is, all of us would say, of course I would throw a rescue rope to someone in a, in a truck, an elderly lady stuck in a truck. But again, let's use that as an analogy. How many of you throw the rescue line of the gospel to people that you don't like? 
How many of us throw the rescue line of a day's salary to the people of a nation you've never met? How many of us are willing to throw the rescue line of, of just tenderness and kindness to people who don't look like or vote like or act like or behave like you? I do. Anybody else struggle with that besides the pastor? It's part of our issue as people, and it's one thing Jesus tried over and over to correct. Very prevalent in our culture today, we even have given language to it. We call it the cancel culture. It's the times we live in. This is when we say, if you don't look, if you don't agree with me, if you don't support me, if you don't stand with me and align with me, I will cancel you, shun you, call you out, humiliate you. I will make your life hell if you don't make my life better. Man, aren't you glad that guy didn't cancel that couple in the truck? I mean, I will say cancel culture is evil. It defies the heart of Jesus that, that we are to love all people, even those with whom we disagree. Paul said that while we were sinners and enemies of God, he died for us. Aren't you thankful that God didn't cancel us? Aren't you thankful that God threw a lifeline to us? And yet we live in a day now where we've lost our way. Even in the church world, we've lost our way to the point where we'll say, if you don't believe like we do, if you don't behave like we do in our Christianity, and if you don't politic the way we do, if, you don't, if you're not like us, then you're against us. And there are Christian denominations who literally have taken it to the extreme to say no other Christian version but us is even going to heaven. Christians can be the worst at cancel culture. And that's why Jesus <laughs> tried so much to remind us of life in his kingdom. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is one that confronts that from every angle. I want us to walk it through together, and we're going to go verse by verse, but we're going to start looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan by looking at the broken questions that we ask, the broken questions that we tend to live with and lead with. Now, Jesus is doing all kinds of ministry. He's about to head up to Jerusalem to be crucified, uh, starting in verse 11 by the end of that chapter. But before that, we see in verse 25, it says, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now, there's the motivation of this lawyer. Now, this is not a lawyer like, like, like the local attorney who's you know, trying to uh, represent you in a case. When, when the Bible talks about a lawyer in this text, this context, this is a conservative Jew who's very skilled in the law of Moses. So this lawyer is someone who knows the law of the word of God, backwards and forwards, like this pharisaical, they know the scripture really well, the law of the Torah. He's not a civil attorney, he's an expert in the law of God. He knew the 10 commandments, the 613 laws for relationship with God and people, ceremonial law, dietary restrictive laws, he knew all the laws. And he would have been a person tasked by the religious leaders to hold people accountable to the law, to be punitive when they broke the law. And this guy stands up with a trapping question for Jesus. He was skilled enough to try to even trap Jesus. So he stood up and he, trying to test Jesus, and he asked this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now built in the question is one of the broken realities of human existence. It's one of the questions that we've been asking since the beginning of time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, this is the question that every religion seeks to answer. What do I do? What should my behaviors look like? How should I act? 
What should I do to please God? I grew up uh, not really a Christian. I grew up in a, a family or in the South. We believe in God. I didn't live for God. But I remember going to churches along the way, including the church that kicked us out. And it was all about our behavior, our external uh, uh, humility, our external holiness, our external piety. And if we do these things, then we'll go to heaven. Anybody ever asked the question, if I do this and die, will I go to, heaven? Will I go to hell? That's that kind of question. What must I do to go to heaven? It's built into the human condition to ask this. But it's a broken question. How do I make sure my good outweighs the bad? Every other faith tradition in the world tries to teach you the ways to work your way to God. How do I get to God? How do I make my way to him? And what makes the Christian testimony of Jesus so unique is that he actually came saying, you'll never make your way to God. You'll never earn your way to God. You'll never work your way to heaven. But the coming of Jesus is God working his way instead to us. We receive the truth of his gospel as the only means of salvation. What's unique about the Christian message is not the rules that Christians have come up with. What's unique about the Christian message is that this is the story of God making his way to us, not us making our way to him. Can I hear an amen, everybody? We can't work our way to God. Let me tell you something. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be holy enough. You'll never get the rules right enough. Stop trying and start leaning into Jesus. He's the one that's perfect. You don't have to be, but he will perfect you along the way. He worked his way to us, and only if we believe in faith that he's come to us, he died for us, he paid the penalty for us, he paid the price for us, that's how we actually then get to him. But this guy asked a normal human question. What do I have to do to eternal, get eternal life? Luke 18, the rich young man, or 15, comes to him with the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This question appears a lot in the Gospels. This question appears all the time in our world. If you've ever wondered, if I do blank, will it send me to hell? You're asking that question. So Jesus said to him, <laughs> I love this, what's the law say? That's a good question to ask a lawyer. What's written in the law? I love, too, that Jesus answers his question with a question. It's kind of a baller move. He said, what's written in the law and how do you read it? So the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is Deuteronomy 6, right? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Brilliant. Actually, here's what's really interesting about this. First of all, One of the rabbinical methods of teaching is to ask questions. And I love that Jesus did that. He asked questions, he answered questions with questions. And the reason he would do that, and the reasons rabbis would do that, it's probably multi-layered, but a primary reason is because oftentimes when people are asking you questions, they're loaded with their answers already, and they're really wanting to know if you'll agree with them. So what Jesus is doing is putting the question back on them and saying, what do you say? Because it confronts the inner person, the the inner test, right? And we know that this lawyer is trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus just threw the question back on him. By the way, I like this method of, of discussion on theological debates. I had somebody ask me recently, what's your view on, and the, fill in the blank. And my immediate response was, well, what's your view? And they looked kind of shocked at me, and they said, I, I don't think I was prepared to answer that. I said, well, why should I be prepared to answer that? I said, maybe, can I ask if you're asking me, not because you really want to know what I think, but you're asking because you want to know if I'll agree with you? And they said, yes, that's why I'm asking. I said, well, then what do you think? And I'll tell you if I agree or not. Which we didn't, by the way. That's okay. And that's okay. We don't have to agree to do life together, to to follow Jesus together. 
And I, I, I've just come to some understanding about certain issues that maybe you haven't come to understanding about, and maybe you've come to understanding about certain things with the Lord that I haven't come to understanding about. That's why we do life together. That's why small groups are important, because we sharpen each other in our following Jesus. By the way, if you've not hosted a small group, uh, we'd love to train you tonight and for the next couple of weeks on Sunday night at our Rossview campus, 5 o'clock, we're going to offer some training for you. It's free. Love to help you host a small group. But these questions sharpen us. Can I tell you something? I've never met somebody who got really excited about Jesus from losing a debate with another Christian. <laughs> Let's move on. You don't feel like you're in much of a giggly mood this morning, but that's okay. The lawyer appropriately answered with a direct quote from the law. Look at what he answers. Jesus said, well, what's the, law? What's the word say? That's what he's asking. What's God already said to you? Because the Lord gave us the law. How do you read it? And he said, well, love God with all your heart. That's your that's your passions, love the Lord with everything that you're passionate about, love the Lord with all your soul, that's your emotional state, your mentality, your mindset, your thought life. He said, love the Lord with all your strength, your habits and behaviors, your, your giving, your, your, your schedule, love the Lord with all your everything, and, and then your mind, that's how you think. The Bible says take every thought captive, make it submissive to Christ. So here's, here's why this is so important. The heart, soul, strength, and mind of a person is the whole person. There's no part of you left out. And what, what this lawyer is quoting is God who had always said, I want you to love me with all of you. See, we have, as humans, we've kind of categorized what parts we want to love God with. I'll love him with my Sunday. I'll love him with my, my language, you know, when I'm around Christians. And I'll love him when, it's, when I'm in tragedy. But God's request and expectation has always been and still is that you love him, that you devote yourself to him in every part of yourself. That's why we say at LifePoint, we want to lead you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That means your mind, heart, soul, and strength, you love God. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, uh, does anybody lie? Well, some of us do. We lie to ourselves, don't we? We think we're going to fit in them clothes again in our closet, right? We think, <laughs> anyway. You need to love, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. You don't lie to yourself, cheat on yourself, beat yourself up. And, and part of when people even get to that state is, is, is because of issues of, uh, that really need some help, right? But, but love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he doesn't say love your neighbor as God because that would include some kind of perfect type of love that we don't have the capacity for. But you can love the na- your neighbor as you yourself love yourself. And so he answers correctly. That's what's ironic. This lawyer asked the question, Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say? And he gives the right answer. Jesus even applauds him. He's like, okay, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And he's talking about you'll have eternal life. So Jesus could have like been wiped, you know, just been done with this guy. But the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus. He wasn't actually trying to grow to be like Jesus. Man, that's, that is something we struggle with still. Anyway, the great irony is even though the lawyer was trying to trap him, his answer was correct. Love God fully and love people. Listen. These things are connected. I want you to hear this. You cannot fully love, you can't love God fully if you don't express that by loving others. And you won't love others appropriately and selflessly if you don't first love God fully. They're interconnected. They're not separated. That's why Jesus said in Mark 12, this is the one commandment that's greater than all, love God and love people. You will never love people well if you don't fully love God with all of yourself, and that's why we grow in that all the time. And you'll never express your love for God if you're not loving the people. Anybody known people who are super churchy and religious but just mean? Right, that's the disconnect. 
Or have you ever known people that are super friendly and kind to everybody else out there, but they have no prayer life, no devotion life, and you're like, do you, you call that Christianity? That's not Christianity. So Jesus was actually affirming that from the beginning of time, God has said the same thing, love God fully and love others as you love yourself. Do this, and he says, you'll live. That's what he's saying, because remember the question the lawyer asked, how do I have eternal life, eternal living? He said, if you'll live this way, that is eternal life, and it'll carry you into eternity, right? Verse 29, but watch this. But desiring to justify himself, man, oh man, that is me. The lawyer asks, well, then who's my neighbor? Let's categorize these people. Okay, Jesus, you're telling me love my neighbor as myself. You're talking about next door neighbor? You're talking people in my neighborhood? Or is this figurative for like people in my tribe, my race, my religion, my denomination, my politic, my gender? What, what do you mean by my neighbor? And, and I think this reveals the most honest question in the whole dialogue. It's still broken, though, because it shows the selfishness of the guy, right? Who is my neighbor? Let's define that. And, and Jesus doesn't answer that question. He actually answers the problem. And, and this is what I think is so brilliant. It's this amazing story that we get to called the Good Samaritan. Many of us ask these questions like, how do, how do I love somebody who doesn't believe like me or vote like me? That's the big question right now. How can I be kind to someone who won't wear a mask or who always wears a mask? Or how can I love somebody who won't get a vaccine or who has gotten the vaccine? How can I love somebody who is gay affirming? Or how can I love somebody who's a Democrat or a Republican? Are they really my neighbor? And so Jesus tells a story. And in verse 30, he says, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in this first century, they all, like Jerusalem was the, the top and the north star of the whole world. So everything was down from Jerusalem for the Jewish people, right? So, so this is a Jewish man, by understanding. This lawyer, he's not gonna tell about a Gentile, right? He's telling this lawyer, a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem, going down to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, or he came upon robbers. And this road they called the Way of Blood, this road from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho, uh, we learned that they called this the way of blood. It was a treacherous road. It was like horrible path. Everybody knew it was dangerous. He fell among robbers who stripped him naked, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was coming down that road. And when he saw him stripped naked, beaten, left for dead, the priest from the temple <laughs> passed by on the other side of the road. And likewise, the Levite, which is part of the priesthood as well, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. Now, uh, the lawyer understood these characters, the priest and the Levite, right? And we understand these people, right? Folks who have convictions, folks, folks who have a, a certain religious predilection or a, a, a persuasion a certain way. They, these two are both part of the house of God. The priest is the one who makes relationship between man and God, sacrifice on their behalf. The Levite is the one handling the work of ministry in the temple, setting up the tabernacle, tearing it down, doing the works of the ministry, worship, etc., and preaching. Both of them are part of the house of God. So you would think they're the heroes, 
And they both have specific roles and expectations, but watch this. They carry a purification in their lives, and the lawyer knew the rules of purification. 613 laws of the Bible that tell us things about ritual purity. Don't touch people who are bleeding. Don't touch dead bodies. Don't touch them because you will be left clean for 30 days or left outside of the temple. So these religious people understood that for them to go over there and touch that body on the side of the road that's bludgeoned and left for dead, it would affect their purity and their ability to be welcomed into the house of worship that they work for. So, so far, the lawyer's probably going, well, that makes total sense. That makes total sense that they would step to the other side. But actually, Jesus is not trying to make the religious people the hero here. I don't know if you're catching this. They walked to the other, they intentionally saw that guy and was like, nope, I'm not going over there, I'm going over here. And here's why. It's interesting, their desire to stay pure kept them from doing good. Their conviction about external holiness kept them from inward transformation. They were bound by a law given by Moses and yet violated the law given by God towards people. Dr. Martin Luther King has this brilliant quote. He says, to ignore evil is to become an accomplice to it. And that's the issue of the religious crowd in the parable. And honestly, how many of us are guilty of the same thing? It shows up in different ways, but we've all done it. We, we justify it even by our faith. Well, they don't believe like we do, or they don't live like we do, or we don't help somebody because of what others may think of our involvement with that type of person. We don't serve the needy or give to uh, certain things because it's easier to stay on this side of the road than go down the road to Waverly, right? Even justified by our own faith convictions, we can stay on our side of the road because I'm on the way to the temple. I've got some holy things that I've got to do. And we step past those who are wounded and hurting. Am I talking to anybody today? But then verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now this is a problem. Samaria was the half tribe of Israel. <laughs> These were the they were the outcasts. They were the neighboring community in Samaria. Like if you remember in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, the gospels would go. Well, for them to hear that the gospel is going to go to Samaria, these are these, like pick your group that you hate and can't stand and don't want anything to do with and, and pick the group that you would literally say, if I never see those people in my life, I'd be okay. Pick your group. That's the Samaritans. They were hated. They were seen as half-tribes of Abraham. They were the outcasts. They were religious half-breeds. They were despondent. They were despised. You, you didn't do business with them. You didn't talk to them. You certainly didn't touch them. And as a Jewish man, you had no business doing anything with them. But a Jewish man's laying on the ground almost dead, and a Samaritan walks by. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and he saw him. And he had compassion on him, and he went to him. Remember the religious people of that guy's tribe? The dude on the ground who's Jewish priest and Levite saw him and walked on the other side of the road. But the Samaritan saw him, had compassion, walked over to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he picks the guy up and sets him on his own animal and brings him to a hotel to take care of him. You gotta understand the Samaritans were the pariah of the Jewish people, worse than second-class citizens. And for the Samaritan to become the hero had to be infuriating this lawyer. <laughs> the outsider was the one to see the man beaten or left for dead. Like the religious leaders, in order to maintain their purity, the lawyer's going, of course they're not going over there to deal with that guy all blood, bloodied up. 
But he goes, but the outsider comes along. He not only saw him, but his heart was moved to compassion and his body was moved towards them and his pocketbook was moved towards him. In fact, he goes on to say the next day he took out two denarii, which is a lot of money, and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, take care of this man and whatever more you spend on him, whatever's needed, I will repay that when I come back. So he was moved emotionally, he was moved physically, he was moved with his hands, with his wallet, with his heart. The Samaritan was moved, led to help and serve this man. His schedule was interrupted. He was inconvenienced. He risked, listen to this, the Samaritan risked being assaulted for helping this Jewish man. Then he spent his own money and time and resources. Listen, he spent on a man who probably would never have done the same thing for him. Because that man who left Jerusalem knew don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And anything that happens to them, they brought it on themselves. But this Samaritan didn't love him the way he would have loved him. He loved him the way he himself loved himself. That's what Jesus is teaching. What's the way of eternal life? Love God fully. Love your neighbor as you yourself. Want to be loved. I I think it's really ironic and worth noting. That Jewish man would have never done this for the Samaritan. Pick your group by the way, Waverly, One Day to Feed the World, Afghanistanis, those that are causing problems over there, helping in New Orleans. I mean, pick your group. People who vote different, people who go to a different type of church, look different, skin color, race. Di- what? Discipleship is an interruption, and it's costly, and it's better. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Like serving others, loving God and loving people, it's an interruption, it's costly, it's inconvenient, and it's better. (laughs) This is eternal living. We don't get to qualify who we serve or how we love people. Jesus is trying to teach us, stop putting people through your grid and your expectations and your rules. Just do the better way of life. Do the better way of doing this thing and love people without qualifications. That's why we always say we serve with no strings attached. We give with no strings attached. Consider the attitudes revealed in this parable though. Now, pick yourself in the parable. The robbers had this attitude. The robbers, and I, I took this. I gotta give credit where credit's due. I, I borrowed, stole, took, acquired uh, this from Mike Bartell who leads Free International, which is our partner in Vegas with uh, human trafficking victims, which by the way, in Orlando a month ago, three weeks ago, we rescued 15 girls on the street in Orlando who were being trafficked and praise God. Your giving helped make that happen, by the way. I wanna tell you that. The ro- he taught me this. The robbers had this attitude that said, what's m- yours is mine and I'm gonna take it from you. And man, some of us just live with that attitude all the time. I got a friend last night, uh, he got home from a trip out of town and he put it on his Instagram. Somebody broke into his home, busted a hole out of his safe and stole thousands of dollars worth of his stuff. Robbers have this attitude, what's yours is mine. And some of us live that way when it comes to people different from us. If I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna get something out of this. Or if I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna make sure you're more like me on the back end of this than more like you. You know what I'm saying? Like robbers just have this terrible attitude. Hopefully none of us have the attitude of a robber. Can I hear an amen? A better amen. Okay, good, just checking. The religious leaders had this attitude. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to preserve it. My purity, my holiness, my time. Hey, I don't have time for that. That's my money. I've been saving for years. I'm putting my kids through college. I can't give that away. The religious attitude, the one that Jesus is speaking against, is the attitude that says what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And as he's telling the story of the Good Samaritan, 
the lawyer's probably going, I recognize those guys. Like, I, I, I'm like them. Because remember what he's asking. Like, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, well, what's the Bible say? He said, love God and love people. He goes, great, go do that. And he goes, well, who's my neighbor? Let's be careful here who we talk about. Like, let's make sure we're talking the same neighbor here, Jesus. And so the lawyer would have had that attitude. And maybe that's the attitude you have. I'll help those that I like. I'll be kind to those I agree with. Anybody else struggling with that in today's culture? (laughs) That is not, this is the attitude that we're fighting right now. This is cancel culture. If you're not like me, you're dead to me. I'll cancel you, shun you, humiliate you, embarrass you. I mean, this is the attitude of the world. What's mine is mine and I'm gonna keep it. Hey church, there's a better way. It's the way of the Samaritan who said, what's mine is yours and you can have it. I mean, you gotta understand, the Samaritan was willing to inconvenience his time, his schedule, his resources, his money, even to the point where he wrote a blank check to the innkeeper and said, hey, if this guy incurs any more costs, I'll pay it when I get back. The attitude that we need to have and that Jesus is trying to teach us is this one. But it's crazy that he taught a Jewish lawyer to model his life after the Samaritan. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you why that's crazy in just a minute. Don't let me forget. So let me ask you, as a Christian, who do you want to be? See, I think sometimes, and Stephanie and I were talking about this this weekend, sometimes as a pastor, sometimes we even forget that the Bible was not written for pastors to live by. God didn't give the word just for preachers. God gave the word for the family of God. This is for you. This parable is not just for Pastor Mike. It's for you. And so which character do you identify with and which character do you want to be more like? Anybody want to be the robber? Just a quick poll. Anybody want to be the religious people? Of course, nobody's going to raise their hand right now. You know what I'm saying? Me, of course, me. Anybody want to be the Samaritan? Anybody struggle with being the Samaritan? Here's where it flares up. Our sexism, our racism, our elitism, right? Or our comparisons. We say things like this. I, you know, it'd be easier to help them if they just get up and help themselves a little bit. I mean, we have that other ver- verse of the Bible, right? God helps those who help themselves. Yeah, that's nowhere in the Bible, by the way. God helped everybody who could never help themselves. That's why Jesus came. What's our Christian response? Jesus gives it to him. <laughs> I love this. So it starts with the guy asking Jesus questions, and now Jesus is asking him, so which one of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell on the robbers? Remember, the guy's asking, who's my neighbor? Who do I need to care for? And he's asking, now the Samaritan's the example. Who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell? Because in the mind of the lawyer, he's thinking, I'm one, of the, I'm one of the guys on the road. Now he's going, be the guy who fell. Who proved to be the neighbor to that guy? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. It's the one who showed, remember, love God, love people. You can't fully love unconditionally if you don't rightly love God fully. And you don't express your love for God fully until you express it by loving unconditionally. So he makes the example of of the Samaritan. What started as a trap question by the lawyer turned into an amazing teaching from Jesus. The outsider became the hero. The outsider became the example. And what did he model? How to love God and express that love by loving others with no strings attached. Generously, 
with his time. And like I said earlier, the Samaritan loved a man who probably would have never treated him the same way. That's love your neighbor as yourself, even if they wouldn't do it back to you. Listen, even if Waverly families would never come to Clarksville and give towards your flood relief, do it anyway. Even if families in Waverly would never drive the hour and 15 minutes to come help serve you and clear out your house, do it anyway. Even if families around the world would never give a day's wages to feed you and your children, give it away anyway. Even if your coworker would never treat you with kindness, respect, forgiveness, and godly affection, treat her or him that way anyway. Even when your spouse doesn't show you love first, show him and her love anyway. This is the way of the kingdom of God. It's the power of Jesus' parables. He was not only teaching the lawyer how to live better, he's teaching us how to live better. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. Remember the question, what must I do? Here's what you do. Love God so much that it's obvious when you love others. Jesus said, this is how people will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. This is how they'll know your mind, is how you treat them. We can't disconnect the two. Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's the better way of the kingdom of God. Are you the robber? Are you the religious folk? Are you the Samaritan? The better way of the kingdom of God is to be like the Samaritan. And here's the real irony of the whole story. The parable of the good Samaritan was literally made up on the spot, we believe, by Jesus. But the real and better version of that story is that Jesus coming to earth, coming to us to bring eternity and eternal life. He is the ultimate good Samaritan. He's our outsider. He doesn't belong to us. He's not like us. He's different from us. And he's the one who spent everything, who inconvenienced his schedule in heaven and gave it all so that we could be healed and fully restored into relationship with God. The guy starts out by asking, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus answered by saying, somebody else is going to offer you that salvation. And the Samaritan is Jesus. So, as you ask that question, the real question is, have you received the hands and the expense and the touch of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, the outsider Jesus? You will never receive eternal life apart from faith in, trust in, and surrender to Jesus Christ. The lawyer was wrecked with the thought that a Samaritan would touch this man. And maybe you've been wrecked with the thought that God loves you so much that he'll be moved with compassion, come to your side of the road, pick you up, clean you off, and pay even his whole life to get you restored. But I'm telling you, you will never have eternal life unless you receive the work of Jesus the good Samaritan for the whole world. Can I hear a big amen, everybody? Let's pray in response to this. Every campus, every place, come on, bow your heads with me and we'll hand off to our campus pastor in just a moment. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the parable of the good Samaritan. We thank you that it's ultimately a story of your love for us and we receive it with gladness today. We receive it with a full heart today. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have done it all for us. You've spent yourself completely for us and towards us. And Lord, today we receive it gladly and freely with with a humility, God, to ask for forgiveness and mercy and care from you. God, we love you and we honor you. Now, Lord, would you forgive us where we have been the robbers? 
God, would you forgive us where we've been the lawyer trying to trap you in questions and make you submit to us? God, would you forgive us where we've been the religious folks who have qualified who will love based on if they are a neighbor enough to us? God, forgive us for that. Can everybody ask the Lord right now, say, God, please forgive me for being the wrong person in this story. Say, Lord, help me receive your heart for all people in Jesus' name. Everybody pray this with me. God, I love you. Say, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he came to this world to give his life for me, an outsider from him. He died for me, he raised from the dead for me, and he lives forever so that I can live with him and for him to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Say, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I will live for you for the rest of my life. To God be the glory. Come on, let's celebrate together today in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Life point, man, has this been a good word for you today? Come on, somebody. Hey, if you want prayer for anything, please let us pray with you today. I wanna encourage you this week, inconvenience your schedule and your checkbook and everything else to serve people, to express your love for God through your love for other people. Don't qualify anybody. Trust that God's putting people in front of you to change you as you bless them. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Come on, we'll see you in small groups this week. Let's have a great discussion. I love you, church. God bless you. Peace out, everybody.